So, okay, Apprentice Sunday is my favorite holiday that happens like four to six times a year. And if you weren't here uh, when we originally started, this time is really like just a moment to, I'll, sorry, I'll bring it right here. Um, it's really just a time to equip those people in our community who have a gift of something on their life for the church, for God's kingdom, for God's mission in the earth. And this time, it's not a moment of like the best sermon you'll ever hear. It's not the best content you'll ever uh, get. That's not even the point of anything we do ever. Really, though, the entire point of this moment is to receive the good news of Jesus from people our community, and then we get behind them, and we love them, and we support them, and we encourage them for taking a huge step of faith and obedience to partner with God. So if you're stoked for your boy Zane Moore, give me some. Yeah. Um, so we are still in 1 John, though. Uh, 1 John 2, which Zane did not know until Friday. There was a typo on the text message. And so uh, that boy is a monster for preparing a sermon in basically a day. Um, but the, we started out this, this sermon series, and Chris uh, spent some time talk, you know, introducing the book and then talking around this idea of koinonia. And that's, that's basically fellowship. That's what that word means. And the way that our fellowship with one another is meant to model fellowship with God. How do we know that God loves us? Because we love one another. He's put that love in our hearts for one another. And then Dana last week preached uh, on the beginning of the second chapter of 1 John. And her like, big idea was really that intimacy is formed in obedience with God. So often we think, I've got to feel something. I've got to, I've got to get to a point before I really start following and giving my life to God but really it's the other way around. The more we follow him, the more we take on his way of life, his living, the more we form this beautiful intimacy with God. And then tonight, Zane and I are gonna just co-teach for a bit on love for God and love for one another. If you open up my Bible to 1 John, just right in the margin, just a big L-O-V-E, because that's really what this book is all about, is love. And John basically spends from this point on in 1 John 2, he spends the rest of the book just walking in circles around this idea of love to make sure that we hear him loud and clear. Now, this is a literary device he uses called amplification. And I say loud and clear, but if you've ever read 1 John, it might not sound so loud and clear to you. He kind of writes in a way that for us modern readers can be a bit hard to read, even a bit hard to understand. That would be an, a pretty normal response um, if you were just opening this book for the first time. But when we aren't trained to look for these like literary devices like amplification, we don't typically see them. And I can tell you as modern American readers, we aren't trained to see them, right? When we want to make a point about something, we put it in all caps, underline it, 10 exclamation points after it. The ancient Greek, that did not exist. There was no such thing about that. And so here's the thing, weird way to start tonight talking about literary devices, but my point being is this, we can't just recognize that like, oh, John's using a literary device to talk about love a lot. We gotta ask John, why are you doing that? Why are you talking about love so much? And I think that John needed to know that 
when his hearers heard this poetic sermon, and that's really what 1 John is, it's not like it's not your typical letter to a church, it's a poetic sermon. When he heard it and when we read it, he needed to know that he knew that he knew that we could not listen to this sermon and have any question what the single defining factor of a Christian is and of what the church is. That that single defining factor is love. That's his big point. And uh, why, why did he have to do that? Probably because there was a lot of division in the church. Probably because there was a lot of unloving things going on. We know that when we read 2 John and 3 John, but Dane and Stu kind of introduced us into it a bit. There was likely a lot of divisions in the church and the church in Asia Minor, they had just missed it. They had not been a people of love, at least unconditionally. And so us 2,000 years later, here we are and we have perfected it, Right? not. Um, (laughs) Some of you have experienced very real pain in the church, through the church, because of the church. Teaching on love has probably felt a lot like a lesson in hypocrisy to some of you. That's very possible. And you may even often hear things like, I love Jesus, but I don't love his church so much. And I honestly think that breaks God's heart, but I honestly don't blame you. I can totally see why you would say that if that's a bit how you feel tonight. This is just the outworking of 2,000 years of God letting people lead his church. And that's his plan. Terry, if you guys remember him, he usually sits right here, old South African dude, here about once a month. He always says this thing that um, the only prayer of Jesus is that hasn't been answered yet is that we would all be one that we would all dwell in unity together, that there would be no division. And so John and Jesus, they really see the church in a different way than maybe you or I might. They really believe in the church as this prophetic hope, a different vision and a different future, that it could be a redeemed version of our honest moment that it could be uh, a source of unity and love that only exists in and because of the church. And so, as your boy's end comes up, I want you to think about this as he starts tonight. You guys there? Good? Okay. I'm just setting him up. That's all I'm doing. I'm like like John the Baptist, just making straight the way. (laughs) That's my job tonight. I want you to think about this. What would your life look like And what would the church look like if there was no compromise for the love of God in your life? Nothing else takes his place in your life. It's all God's. What would you look like? What would the church look like? And then I wonder what would the church look like or what would his advancing kingdom look like if there was truly no compromise on our love for one another? There was nothing to hinder us or stumble us from loving one another. What would this church look like? What would his church look like? So Zane, let's do it. Okay, you got your Bibles? First John, chapter two. So here's the deal. Um, uh, We're preaching on verses seven to 11, but I'm gonna preach, I'm gonna read the three verses before it because it's totally the context. So here we go, four verses before it. Verse three, we know we have him. Sorry, We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. 
Whoever says, I know him, but does not know what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we're in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as he did. Jesus, uh, as Jesus did. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have heard since the beginning. This old command is the message you've heard. Next one. There we go. Yet, I am writing you a new command. It's truth and seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother or sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates his brother or sister in the, in the darkness is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. Hello? <laughs> Am I good? Awesome. Yeah, first I just want to say thank you for letting me be up here. This is my family. These are my friends. This community has blessed me in so many ways. It's overwhelming. I've traveled the world with this community. Um, I've been planted somewhere more than six months for this community. I have a hard time staying in one place. Um, so this community is just such a blessing to me and for me to, to preach God's word in front of you. It's, it's just amazing. Um, I want to start, I know it's easy for this being my first time of you guys thinking, what is Zane going to say? What is he going to tell me? But I want a completely different view. I want you to say to yourself, what is God saying to me tonight? That it's not about Zane. It's not about what I say, but it's about, no, Lord, what, I, what have I been ignoring Jesus, what do I need to hear from you, Jesus? So open your hearts and know that God is speaking, you to, speaking to you tonight. I'm speaking to you tonight because I've experienced the immeasurable love God has for me. He has taken away my ways of self-doubt, loneliness, and fear, and has called me a son who has purpose when I was ashamed and broken, he restored me with confidence and hope. Even when I'm lost and stray away from him, he calls me back home and meets me with forgiveness and love. God loves you the same way. I wanna invite you to experience this love tonight for the ones that have never heard this love, listen closely because I want you to experience this for the first time. And for the ones that know this love, I want you to remember what this love is like. I'm so glad I don't have a mic. <laughs> Thank you. 
And I think knowing the love of God, you can't conjure up in your own mind. You can't think what is the love of God with your own mind and, and, and trying to, to put a word on it or put a sentence to it. You have to dive in the word to know this love, to understand this love, to be overwhelmed by this love. So the verse I'm hopping, in, hopping into tonight is Ephesians 2, three through seven. So for the ones that have a Bible, I'll give you some time to open to it. Ephesians 2, three through seven. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Is it okay if I get a water? I hear that <laughs> just in the background and I'm just like... <laughs> um, so the, the first thing I want to talk about within this is when we were dead in our trespasses. Dude, thank you. What does this mean to be dead? It's set. You can't go back. You can't make a different decision. You're dead. We were dead in our humanness, desiring the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind. In these ways, God explains it. You are a child of wrath. And I think what God wants us to understand within this is our humanness leads us to darkness. Think of what you look like and what you do when you're in your humanness. For me, I do what I want and I know what I need. That's the way I think. I'm quick to think. I do things my way. I'm like, I know myself. I'm confident in myself. This is what I need. This is how I'll be fulfilled. This is how I'll find joy. I know what I need. I don't need anything else. But at the same time, I have never felt so broken. When I think I know what I need, when I think I know the ways I need to go, and I am even more drenched with loneliness, more drenched with anxiety, more drenched with confusion. Do you know what it feels like to be hopeless? I do. Do you know what it feels like to be lonely? 
I do. Do you know what it feels like to be in need? I do. And to know that I was stuck in that. I didn't have the light. I didn't have a savior. I didn't have an answer. That's where we were of thinking about your humanness, thinking of what you were stuck in, that darkness, those lies, what you're sitting in maybe now. There was no answer. There was no answer until now, but God. In Ephesians 2, four through five, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. When you were dead, that was your old self. You were dead in your ways and there was no way getting out. There was no answer, there was no light. But you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. What does this new creation mean? What does it mean to be pulled out from where we used to be? Pulled out of your darkness, pulled out of your loneliness, pulled out from confusion. It is to be invited into God's rich mercy and grace. And I think we forget what mercy and grace actually means. We say it all the time that God is rich in mercy and he is rich in grace, but we forget the actual meaning. Mercy derived from the Latin word merced, meaning price paid. He has forgiven you for where you once were. From when you didn't even know that you were stuck in these ways, when you didn't even know you were living in the passions of your, of your flesh, carrying out the desire of your, of your body and the mind of where by nature, were by nature children of wrath. He has forgiven you of where you once were. And grace, it's showing favor towards someone. So God has ultimate favor for you. So with being rich in mercy and being rich in grace, there's an answer now. There's a hope now. There's new life now that is promised to you. And I think some of you still live in this old way. Some of you still live that you're separated from this new life, that you feel like you're still in these old ways. You feel like you're still in these lies. You're in this loneliness. You're in this destruction but he has secured you. He has secured your salvation. By grace, you have been saved. It is done. 
his favor for you, his love for you, his forgiveness for you. He says, no, I don't want you to live like this anymore. I want you to be secure. And this, this is the main thing Satan tries to take away, your security in Jesus. He wants you to believe that you were never a part of this plan. He wants you to believe that you don't have redemption, that you don't have more promises in your life. You don't have love. He wants to put you in that place of believing there's no promises for me and I'm still stuck in this. So I guess I'm gonna have to run with it. No, there's newness. You don't have to wonder if you're a part of this plan. You are locked in through Christ's death and God's forgiveness and favor. So why does this matter? Why does this redemptive story matter? Why does it matter when we were stuck in our flesh, when we were carrying out the desires of our body, when we were saying it's my way or the highway, and when we were broken and we've been raised to new life and we have been forgiven, why does this matter? Because it transforms you. It transforms your mind. It gives you new ways of thinking and especially it changes the way that you love others. When you know your own redemptive story and you know this rich love God has for you. I think the first way that it makes you love others better is it's not about you anymore. God wants you to be overwhelmed by the way he has saved you. Jonathan, say I owe you 20 grand. And I have this debt to you. And we have this conversation, maybe tomorrow, maybe the next day, you come up to me and I'm expecting you to say, pay me my debt. Like I need my money back, it's been months. You've never paid it, I still need it from you. But instead, you come up to me and you say no. Your debt is paid. And you know what I wanna do? I actually wanna bless you financially. I wanna buy you a house you don't have a mortgage on it. I wanna bless your family. I wanna pay for their college. And I never want you to worry ever again. Financially, I will provide for you. And I'm not gonna say to Jonathan or think in my own head, oh, this is just a stepping stone for me to be greater. This is just a stepping stone to, to get to where I need to be. No, I'm gonna be, Jonathan, I owe you my life. You don't have to do this for me. I had a debt to you and you already helped me, but then you helped me more? Like, what, what do I do for you? Jesus is the same way. I had this debt where it needed to be paid, but he said, no son, no daughter. I know you're stuck in your ways. I know you're far from me. I know you wanna do your own thing. I know you want to think your own ways, but no, I have favor on you. I forgive you. I love you. And I'm going to take you out of this. 
and you had a debt, I'm gonna bless you even more. And I'm gonna show you who you actually are. And number two of how I believe that the love of God changes you to love people is you look at others completely different from the way you did before. That now with your own redemptive story of seeing this is where I used to be and this is where I am now, that I have promises now, I'm favored, I'm loved, I have a way out. I have life with Jesus. How do I not tell that to someone else? How do I not tell someone their identity? I'd be selfish if I'm changed in this way. Man, it's just gonna get me to go and tell people. And number three, you don't have to rely on conditional love anymore. I think humans have this capacity and I think you feel this capacity in some relationships of why can't I love my significant other more? Why can't I love this friend more? Why can't I love my father more? What's going on? Is something wrong with me? There was no source. You're, you're working off this, this love that you just have stored in you and you're trying your best, you're trying your best and you're just done, you're tapped out. And then you get in these lies where, man, I can't love people. I don't have a love. Man, no one's ever gonna love me because I can't love them. But once you start going to this fountain of an unconditional love, it's gonna flow through you to understand your identity, who you are, the love he has for you, the favor he has for you, man, it's just gonna flow and you're just gonna experience this love you never experienced before for other people. So to end it with application, start preaching the gospel message to yourself. My friend here, my friend Tommy Maroon, I've been friends with him for five years, six years. He was the one that told me this. Start preaching the gospel to yourself. Know where you were, know where you are now, and know the immeasurable love of God has you every single morning, and it's gonna change you. And then go to the unconditional source for those relationships where you feel tired, tapped out, and frustrated and pray, say, God, I want your love, God. Show me your love for me so I can love these people, so I can show them what you've done for me. Ty? <laughs> Do you know how I know he's gonna be such a great preacher? is that he just preaches with a Bible and a notebook. He doesn't even need those electronics. He just sits with the Lord and his Bible. I still have to Google like, what was that verse about being crucified with Christ? And then I just copy and paste it. So, <laughs> dude, you have such a gift on your life and we are all so excited just to see you develop in that and grow in that. And we love you so much, dude. Good job, really good job. <clears throat> I was on a run with somebody one time, 
And uh, we got to talking and it turned into a pretty intense conversation. And I could tell that we had a bit of a different perspective on the conversation at hand. Uh, here's the thing. Intellectually, he was just way beyond me. He had me beat on that one. He was pretty good at like covering off any kind of possible counter argument that I had. He kind of knew how to cover it. He already knew the counter argument to it. So here's the picture. On a run that was way too long for me and I am tired and sweaty and out of breath a couple miles in and um, this conversation starts to get pretty loud, 90% because like, the words that I was speaking were just trying to keep up with how hard I was breathing. And so it sounded probably a lot more cruel than it was, but we were going back and forth pretty loud with one another. And I realized pretty quickly I was fighting a losing battle with him. I uh, pretty quickly realized that if I had any brains at this point, I would just say, hey, you know what, let's talk about this later and then talk about something like the weather or just about anything that doesn't make, that doesn't have any importance whatsoever. I did not do that. I didn't do that. And uh, <laughs> basically instead, I, like I've already been a few miles past that point, I knew the only way I could hopefully shut him up was just by trying to run a little bit faster. So he would start breathing harder and then just wouldn't be able to talk. And so here we are, both not really runners anyway, and we're getting pretty intense one another. And uh, it's like the tension's rising with every, I think by the end of the, the run, our pace was like two minutes faster than when we started. So it was a little bit too much. And as it's getting more intense, like physically and emotionally, at the height of all of that, he turns to me and he's like, how do you even know you're saved? It's like, excuse me? He's like, how do you even know you're saved? I'm like, well, for one, screw you. And for two, and I gave him what I thought, <laughs> that's me telling him I was saved. And, and I gave him what I thought was a really lucid answer at the point. And he was not buying it whatsoever. He's like, every time, well, that's, that's what Muslims would say. That's what Mormons would say. How do you know you're saved? And I was so over it. Now, could we have had this conversation a bit more calm and loving? Yes. I think my pride and exhaustion got the best of me at this point, and I didn't help the situation whatsoever. But as PO'd as I was from that whole thing, I've like seriously had to ask myself that question. How do I know I'm saved? How, what, what? What about my life can I be sure that I walk with God? How do I know that he saved me from the evil powers that just, they do, they're all around me, they cause me to sin, they cause me to run from him? How do I know that those don't rule me anymore? I wonder if you've ever struggled with a similar question. What is your confidence that you can know that you walk with God, that it's not just fairy tale thinking, that it's not just delusional, that you haven't just become delusional for that matter, but that you have been saved by him. How do you know? For many people, I think that this probably steals a lot of the joy of your salvation. It's easy to spend a lot of our life afraid of God wondering, does he really love me? Am I really a child in his eyes? And not even sure if you're saved. And so you open the Bible because you want to get to know God better. 
You're wanting to become a woman or a man who just has Jesus at the center of their life. And then you read moments like we're reading in 1 John. You with me? You live? Okay. I'm just going to take like 10 minutes, I promise. Um, but you start reading moments like 1 John. And, and that's why I opened with verses 3 to 8 is he says, this is how we know that we know him. If we keep his commands. We're like, cool. What are his commands, right? And it goes on and you keep reading. He says, the one who says I've come to know him and yet doesn't keep his commands is a liar and the truth is not in him, in them. This is how we know that we are in him. We walk just as he walked. And you think, well, shoot. I really blow that one quite often. And I think it can be hard to walk away from these passages sometimes with like that blessed assurance in our soul that I know, that I know, that I know that he's with me. Now my goal tonight is not to lay out a systematic theology of salvation. That's not how I plan to do this. Um, But I do believe that John does give us that answer to the question, how can I know that I know him? And he says, what are his commands? And so John basically goes on for the rest of this whole poetic sermon to say there is one thing above anything else that defines a Christian, that defines the church, that defines a church full of Christians. And so if you wanna go to verse seven, he says, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old command that you've heard from the beginning. He's possibly pointing back to the moment they had first heard the good news. Maybe he's pointing back to the law that the Jews were originally giving. Maybe it's both, depending on who's listening. Who knows? But Stu touched on this slightly. And we got to remember, 1 John is likely written by the John who walked with Jesus, who was his disciple, the one who wrote the gospel of John. And much of what John is doing is looking back in this, in 1 John, is looking back to Jesus's final sermon in the Gospel of John, chapters 13 to 17. And he's looking back to that final sermon and expounding on it to connect it to the life of us, the believers. And he says, so this isn't a new commandment, you've heard it, but it kind of is a new commandment because you've never known it like this. And then he picks up in verse nine and he gives us the commandment, this is what it is. This is how we know that we love God right here. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in darkness. But anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. How beautiful is that? John says there's one thing that defines a Christian, one thing that defines his church above anything else, and it's this command, love one another. It's that simple, friends. It's actually that simple. God so desperately cares that love is at the center of his church, that when people see Christians, they think love. When they think of Christians, they think love. Those are people who will love me for who I am. Now, how do you know you walk with God? Well, I would just ask the question, is love for God and love for one another the greatest command in your life? And does your daily life 
reflect love for God and love for one another. I think that's the way, friends, we can share in this beautiful assurance that we walk with God. And it's so tempting to qualify love, right? Because you got some people who are gonna say, yes, yes, love, definitely love, yes. But truth, right? Because if we're just all a bunch of hippies loving each other, then we'll just lose truth. That's one way we try to qualify this conversation. Another is, well, honestly though, they hurt me. So they deserve my love. They didn't give it to me, right? Another way we qualify this conversation or this, this, uh, this essence of who we are as the church is they didn't love me, so why should I love them? But love is at the center of everything for Jesus. And so John just goes on throughout the rest of 1 John, just literally as a million different ways as he can possibly say it. He's basically saying, if you don't love one another, you don't love God. That's John's essential argument as he's amplifying this message of, of, of love. He just goes around and around in circles saying, if you don't love others, you don't love God. That's how God builds his church. And so, as I had mentioned, John is kind of regularly reflecting on Jesus's last sermon in his gospel, the gospel of John, right? And there's a slide for this. I think he's meditating on these words for, from Jesus. This is from uh, John 13. Uh, he's given his last sermon. He says, a new commandment I give to you, love one another. Now, if we stopped there, there would be nothing new about that. The law in Leviticus taught, don't seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Like John says, it's not a new command, but Jesus says this, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. And then he throws in this zinger, by this, by your love for one another, loving one another the way I have loved you, this is how uh, the world will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. He also says later on, that our love for one another is how the world will know that God sent him as his son. That's pretty crazy. Like not our clever arguments, not our really great outreach events, not the amount of knowledge in your head, not your fancy teachings, but loving one another like Jesus did. He actually says that's our greatest missional tool as a follower of Jesus. That's pretty beautiful. He says it again two chapters later. I think this is the one that John's echoing. He just says, this is my commandment. John says, follow his command. He says, this is my commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. And so Jesus just shows us that to love like him is to love sacrificially, to love selflessly, even unto death. At least death of self, death of ego, death of whatever that is, but maybe even physical death. And friends, is there any greater love that Jesus was willingly tortured on a cross to defeat the evil that plagues each one of us. And I think that the cross shows us that there are zero, none, 
Zippo pre-qualifications for our love for other people. They may have hurt you deeply. Jesus could definitely relate. They may have betrayed you. He could definitely relate. They may think different than you, differently than you. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, he could definitely relate. They might vote differently than you. They might accept truth differently than you. And if we're honest, they might just be annoying. <laughs> but I can't help but think of Jesus nailed to a cross saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's true love, right? Love for, for friends, easy. Got that all day. Love for people who love you, no problem. I like this. Love for God, who's shown us such wonderful love and mercy. Yep, can do. But love for our enemy, even unto death, would you die for your enemy? That's what defines the church of Jesus. That's what defines a Christian. It's not the only thing that defines a Christian but it's the number one command for all of us. So does there need to be truth and knowledge and wisdom in a Christian's life, in the communities? Of course, 100%. If you think I would think not, then you're mishearing me. But today our primary conversation is love. That's really the essence of what we're getting at. And I believe, as I just see it through Jesus's words, which we'll read in just a second, that love is the pathway to truth. It's it's just the way people will hear and receive our truth. Marty Solomon, he hosts the Bayma podcast. I really like that. And uh, he says, if you're not loving, then what you have is not truth. In other words, if your belief is right, but your practice is wrong, then you can't actually say that it's truth. It might be true, but if you're not willing to live it, then it's not truth to you at least. He goes on, I mean, John literally goes on to call these people liars. He says, if you call it true, but you don't actually live by it, it's just a lie. And how easy it is for us and the original hearers to be like, yeah, 100%, got it. I can follow rules and, and we do that and, and we believe the right things and yet we totally miss it. I've got scriptures for you and then I'm gonna wrap up here. Paul says in Romans 8, he essentially says, the entire law just hinges on love for one another. He says, let no debt remain outstanding to you except the continuing debt to love one another. You owe that to everyone. And then, you know, he says, for whoever loves the, the others has filled, fulfilled the law. That's the source of life and truth for a Jew was the law, is the law. In Matthew 22, Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That's what Zayn led us into. This is the first and greatest commandment, but the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. And then finally, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, you guys know this one. He basically says like, if I could speak in the tongues of angels, if I had all wisdom and all the knowledge in the world, but I didn't have love, 
I'm just a clanging gong. That's all that I am. Like a clanging gong, there's nothing delightful about it. Nothing worth listening to. No one should listen if there's not love in it. In fact, it will probably hurt the ears of people who hear it and they'll cut themselves off to it. I'm just gonna speed past a couple pieces here. But we prove truth through our love. That is how, as a Christian community, we stand on truth, is by offering love to everyone. And it takes a lot of faith in that command to see its fruit. But just imagine if we really gave it a shot. Just imagine the joy in heaven when Christians are known for their radical self-giving love and sacrifice for all people. Just imagine what your life would look like when forgiveness and love flow as naturally in your body as the blood in your veins and the breath in your lungs. Just imagine the healing transformation that is possible in this world when we prove that the good news is truly, truly, truly good news. But as Francis Chan says, he has this book, Until Unity. I couldn't recommend it enough. He speaks like pretty dang harsh sometimes and you feel like you're getting a little whipped in the butt, but it's usually pretty good and loving, honestly. But he says this, he says, to commit to being like family with other believers in love recognizing that we could spend years pouring time and energy into building relationships and have no idea how that's gonna affect any unbelievers, we would have to put all of our hope in a promise that God gives throughout the entire New Testament, that to love is enough. There's no qualifications for the conversation. Love is enough. That's God's plan. And we believe that where there is love, above all, there will be truth. It doesn't mean there's not correction when there's love either. It just means there's correction in love. We believe that where there's love, like Jesus says, they will know who we are. That's what he says in John 13. They'll know that we are his disciples. And finally, they'll know that God sent Jesus when we love one another well. So how do we know we love God? How do we know we walk with him? We love one another. It's that simple. So we're going to come to the table.